Hey, everybody. Welcome to another week and another amazing episode of the podcast with someone we have been dreaming of having on the pod literally since inception. You are going to love this one with Paul Alexander Nolan. Before you listen to this fabulous addition to the drama canon, I want to tell you about our Patreon, patreon.com slash the drama podcast, $5 a month, bonus episodes, Instagram close friends, endless joy. You are supporting us by supporting the pod and you are missing out on all the fun if you're not on the patreon so go become a patreon family member subscriber whatever you want to call it and enjoy all of the extra drama that i know you've been craving all right on to the show press play curtain up an hour in it's time to take the shade and tea to spill Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, how are you? I'm great. It's, it's a Midsummer Nights pod recording here. Yeah. This, this time of July always makes me feel like, you know, if if August is the Sunday of the week of the months that are weeks, do you know what I mean? Like that feeling like Sunday is like you get the scaries. Uh-huh. August always gives me that. But so right now it kind of feels like there's still time left. Like it's there's still it's still Saturday, yeah. the Saturday of summer. So, you know, I'm feeling yeah. positive that the rest of summer is going to be great. Now that I got my monkeypox vaccine shot, I'm feeling I <laughs> I'm know. feeling better. Before we uh, jumped on, you showed me your I don't want to call it a scar, no, it's like this, the, but it's, it's like still a red and, and like warm. Yeah. You know, I have something warm radiating off my body right now. I got a tattoo last night. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to phrase a fresh it's, um, <laughs> it's giving me some heat as well right now. It's still fresh, but it's my second tattoo. Oh my God. Do you want to do like a, like, tell me what you got? Yeah, it's the, it's a Celtic infinity love knot. It's the best way to describe it. It's two hearts and the infinity symbol and some other cool Celtic intertwinings. Um, I had this great local Columbus tattoo artist draw it up for That's me. That's so cool. And he did it on me last night. It only took him like 30, 45 minutes. Oh my God. You told me it was going to take two was hours. Keeping me, I know. His husky kept me company. It was a great time. I, Of course, you know, I already won another one. That's oh my goes, God. Well, I was I a little nervous when you when you were telling me about this because, you know, I still have yet to take the plunge. I know. Well, you're the most indecisive person in the world. Yeah. So I can only imagine how long it will take for you to settle on a tattoo, but... It is what it is. I wonder if our guest has any tattoos. We'll get, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So, oh, oh, maybe. Okay. Anyway, oh, maybe, we'll, maybe, we'll get maybe into not. it. Maybe, but Dylan, that's so cool. I'm proud of you because you know that hurts, and also it's on you forever, which it's a little painful. Yeah. But worth it in my opinion. I love it. You saw, you've seen it. You I like it. it. It looks awesome. My challenge to you is to get a tattoo before the summer's out and and make this a summer to remember. Okay, that's kind of fun. That's kind of fun because uh-huh. it's been like a sad boy summer, kind of. For you, well, it's just, yeah. It's not been the fun summer I expected it to be. Like, work is still in full force, which, of course, why wouldn't it be? But I don't know. Right. With all of our travels for, like, various weddings and events, and I think I said this already on the pod, but Pride Month actually stresses me the fuck out. Like, I don't know if I can do it again. It's too much, like, <laughs> too much money to be spent and events to be planning for and outfits to coordinate and friends to, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's not... For a Virgo, it's really tough. It's really tough. 
Yeah, but I know. I, that's why I think the rest of summer is going to be great, though, because I don't have any like hugely set plans as of, on weekends, really. So it's going to be great. And it ends with our birthday. I know. But anyway, Dylan, I'm so excited about this guest today. I know. And I'm, <laughs> I'm already feeling great vibes. It's, it's, oh, yeah. It's going to be great. I'm just going to. You can always tell how the podcast is going to go based on the pre-podcast <laughs> chatter. I know. And today, today's was the like guest. electric. It, t- it took longer I, than usual in a good I way, know. in a fun way. I'm so- I, I, know, I know you're I know. stoked too, and you like forced me to listen to two different songs that he sings on from various musicals, uh-huh. and now they're both alternatingly repeating in my head. Which I mean, Connor, he's been in all of our favorite shows. I know, and I'm gonna read it off for you right now. Yeah, give yeah. him the credit. So our guest today is one of the theater world's most in-demand stars, having most recently appeared on Broadway as Jim in Slave Play. This Canadian actor made his Broadway debut as the titular role in Jesus Christ Superstar, broke our hearts as Guy in Once, and stole them all all over again as Jimmy Ray in Bright Star, for which he was nominated for a Drama Desk Award. He was nominated for an Outer Critics Circle Award for his featured turn in Dr. Zhivago, stepped in as Billy Flynn in Chicago, and brought depth and charm to Tully Mars in Escape to Margaritaville. When not on Broadway... Our guest starred in the Off-Broadway World premiere of Daddy Long Legs and is a Stratford Festival company member appearing in the Who's Tommy West Side Story and As You Like It. On television, you might recognize him from The Code, Madam Secretary, and Instinct for CBS. This star has also brought new musicals to life, including the recent Life After at the Goodman, Knoxville, and more, including Yoshimi Battles, The Pink Robots at La Jolla Playhouse. He's currently working on a concept album, and surely plenty more is in store from this literal great... Please welcome to drama, Paul Alexander Nolan. Man, when you say my credits back to back, it sounds like I'm super busy, (laughs) but it has felt super not busy for two years. (laughs) You're catching up. (laughs) Thanks for the intro. Yes. Well, thanks thanks for joining us on the pod, Paul. My pleasure. I'm so happy you asked. Oh, you have truly been a dream guest. If we, if you haven't caught on, we love you and your work. Thanks. I mean, I mean it. It's like, you know, when you mark the side of the wall when you're a kid as you grow and there's pencil marks, one of them says Dylan, one of them says Connor. I don't know who grew faster, but at the <laughs> like at looking back at that as an adult, you're like, oh, you know, I did grow, but I didn't feel like I was there for that. So it is kind of cool to hear you talk about that and remember that, oh, yeah, I've done some stuff and uh, I don't have to feel so kind of crummy about myself. <laughs> you never should. I can't imagine what Paul Nolan would feel crummy about. <laughs> I am curious because you you peeped in for a second during our opening. Do you have any tattoos? I have a really small tattoo that I will not disclose. It's Ooh. somewhere where nobody can see it, but because of what I did in Slave Play, I did have to cover it up. That's oh, that's a bit of a tease. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. wait, I sat in the front row at Slave Play on two separate occasions in two separate theaters. You sat in Pervert's Row. You, <laughs> I'm watching you. More, li- more like Rush Ticket Row. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's more fun to call it Pervert's That's Row. That's hilarious. Which is where, that is where the perverts linger, which I'll probably cut later for, out of respect to myself and others. But <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, it was covered up, so I wouldn't have been able to yeah. see yeah. it. Yeah, no, it was, we covered, you know, I didn't cover it because I didn't want people to see it. I covered it because I didn't want people to be distracted by something interesting mm-hmm. in a moment where they should be focused on something else. Yeah, I mean, truly one of the um, most intense scenes I've ever seen play out on stage. I mean, right. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's an insane ending to the, to a play. I mean, Slave Play was wild, and we were talking about it a little bit before, but it's one of those pieces that, like, you know, I saw it at New York Theatre Workshop, revisited on Broadway a couple years later. You know, and in, in seeing it again and again, you catch something new every single time, and I think Jeremy is such a surprising writer because I never would have seen the play going any way it went. And then to end on such a big finish like that and to have the audience kind of have to reckon with it as they're leaving is wild as hell. It's art. Yeah, it's it's amazing that he knew exactly how to talk to the mental formations of people uh, of all races and genders in a, in a way, you know, because not everybody came out of there feeling the same way about the play. Lots of different opinions, lots of different responses based on, you know, your own personal backstory and histories and opinions. But, you know, I always thought, how did Jeremy write this? It was, it's one of those miracles. Sometimes you see these little miracles on stage. And I think there's one happening in New York, right now that I might bring up later, but you're like, I can't believe that I've just witnessed this. How did I not write this or think of this or have the wish, wish, I wish I had the brain to create this thing. And Jeremy really does. But I'm so curious what your, what your uh, thoughts were as you saw the show develop through New York Theatre Workshop, through Broadway. And did you see it again at the uh, August Wilson as well? Or did you stop? <laughs> did you <laughs> cut yourself off was, at the yeah. Golden? I know I wasn't able to see it in the fall, but I wish I had because I did. I also think it would have been interesting to see it with some new cast members too. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think it was a different Kanisha every time, right? It was. Yeah. 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 I did the show with five different Kanishas, two of them being covers okay. that went on quite a bit because it was necessary to have someone not only in COVID, but also just for mental health reasons, having a really stellar backup cast. Um, Ebony Flowers was our cover on Broadway. And then Kaneta was our cover in LA. So that combined with the three different Kanishas on Broadway. So I did it with five different ladies. Wow. <laughs> That's, that is, so. that probably changes a lot about your performance too. I feel like Slave Play really asked a lot of its actors because you're all on stage basically the whole time and you mm -hmm. have you're literally experiencing the play with the audience there's so so many layers yeah it was i i will say it was one of if not the most gratifying experience of my career but uh you know i've played some pretty intense roles jesus was no joke yeah. and that's for someone who didn't have a relationship with Christ growing up or even as an adult, like I, I've never had an organized religion in my everyday life. And I found that, you know, if you got me talking too much about Superstar, you might find that it like ignites like something really, really powerful in me, which is I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> so, you know, and, and Guy and Once mm -hmm. cost a lot because I, th you know, for me, it really came from grief. I always thought of him as someone who was committing suicide, even though he wasn't jumping off a bridge, he was giving up music. And for him, that was his soul. So that was wow. huge. You know, wow. that was, uh, but slave play really, I've never done anything that did to me what that play did to me. I could not keep it out. It was like water that would, you know, storm all of the weaknesses in my mind and soul. I really had to figure out how to try to take care of myself uh, and my mental health. And it grabbed me every time. And, and, and it usually was too late. It was like one of those things that I can run things 
forever. I love doing long runs, but slave play, you know, three months, I think is absolutely the max that you want to be inside that skin. I forgot that you guys took it to LA as well. What was the reaction Mm. on the West coast versus New York? I will say that it did feel different that the whole theater felt different because we were on a 180 degree thrust stage. So, um, Oh my gosh. First of all, it changed some of our staging. We thought it would make it feel a lot more intimate because of course the audience is actually, most of them are much closer just for the listener who hasn't seen anything in thrust, like as opposed to proscenium, which is a traditional New York theater is on on a proscenium stage. The audience goes deep back out way into the depths of the auditorium. Whereas on thrust, your stage comes out into the audience and there's a half a circle of audience around you. So everyone is actually much closer. However, that said, it didn't let us out of having to use a ton of energy for the play because actually the audience was closer, but all of us were farther apart from each other. So it it changed the sensation of how to reach each other and how everybody was reaching us. In uh, addition to that, Irene and Shalia playing the therapists had to adjust their entire performances because in act two, they you know, it's an hour of therapy and the thrust stage made it impossible for them to have the same staging. So they were out in the audience, like Sally, Jesse, Raphael and Oprah, and <laughs> oh, wow. like, you know, wandering around the audience. It was really a huge adjustment for them. So I, uh, it was just amazing that they did that in less than a week. Cause we, you know, we went out there intact and did the show. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, I appreciate you mentioning anything about it. I'm, I know that it's, it's a certain place you have to go to to even think about it or remember the process and whatnot. And obviously y'all were robbed of all of the Tonys, but it's yeah, something, something we don't, it's just, I think it's just, <laughs> it just goes to show that not much changed, but you know. Do you know, I was in, my wife and I were in Kimberly, British Columbia when we watched the Tonys and feeling so removed from New York and the theater at, at all because, and this might, this might blow your minds, but uh, we spent a lot of the pandemic in Newfoundland, Canada, the East coast of Canada, you were right. um, where come from away. My is mind set. is, my mind is blown already. <laughs> so we were there cause my wife is from St. John's Newfoundland and you know, about a year and a half into the pandemic, I, I said to her, I cannot wake up in a year from now and not have put my energy into something else. I can't wait any longer. So I, I applied to, and I promise this is going to come back to the Tonys, but I applied to firefighting school and I got into firefighting school. And so we were in Kimberly, BC, because I was up two weeks from starting firefighter school. And as it ended up, Robert O'Hara called and, and said, would you like to do the play again? And I'd never thought I would ever want to do that play again. I actually thought I might be done acting when we closed that on Broadway the first time because it just messed yeah. me up a lot. And so it was surprising when my mouth said, absolutely, let's do it <laughs> because I was ready to do it again. A and B, I, you know, I wanted to make some money again. I hadn't made any money in the business for two years and I could postpone school. So I said, yes, let's do it. But we were you know, already committed to this apartment in Kimberly. So we just hung out in the mountains for two months. But, but so when we watched the Tonys, I could like, I, I, I think I laughed. I thought, of course mm-hmm. this happened. Of course this happened. Like, because I couldn't imagine this possibly happening. The, the, the show was revolutionary. Now, mind you, like I do, you know, with all due respect to the Tonys, it's, it's, it is not always just about revolution and art and there's a lot of things that go into 
the award systems. But, you know, I, I certainly thought that Jeremy was going to win. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and honestly, I thought, I, you know, every category got nominated. The There were only three people in the entire event of Slave Play that were not nominated, all, of all the design team, of all of the writing, of all the actors. Like, it, it was it was an event. But anyway, wow. the, the waves were already made. So that was the good news of that. And I hadn't seen Inheritance. So I... I, I can actually comment mm-hmm. like and obviously art is like how do you like i always think of it as like this i love that we have the tony awards because it allows us to promote our industry it's awesome and we get to celebrate each other how if you took a different medium of art like if you took paintings how do you award the best painting yeah. of the year you know it is entirely objective based on on a, um, a bunch mm-hmm. of factors so but what's great is that the play was celebrated and the 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 community had seen it and it had just ro- rocked everybody oh, yeah. a lot of Absolute repeat viewers <laughs> i mean every celebrity came i mean when we were there i think audra mcdonald was there and christine baranski i think they were doing their research for the episode of the good fight that was loosely based on it you're probably mm-hmm. right which was iconic. yeah you're probably yeah. right uh, paul you just gave us so so many things that I'm, I'm so curious about so wait a minute <laughs> you you were ready to leave acting or, pr- or prepared to leave acting once slave play closed on broadway the first time do you mind diving into that a little bit more well, I'll, I'll just say that I'll give you a bit of a history. I've always had my foot a little bit out of the door because I think as a person, I resent being controlled by someone else's whims and the fashion of the times, to quote Orlando from As You Like It. <laughs> yes, since you, yes. said, you mentioned that. I, <laughs> so there's a certain amount of resentment that I have for that. It, it, I feel really uncomfortable not being rewarded for hard work and i'm in the wrong industry right like if i want certain reward for hard work this is not this is not a merit like you know i would listen to the podcast smartless a lot and they say it a lot it's not a merit-based system that we have here when slave play closed you know it took everything it just took everything that we all had and part of what I, what I've realized as as I've aged as an artist and you know improved I hope is that I used to do it to see if I could to see if I could do that kind of role or sing that role or or act that bit or do you know that genre and as I've aged I've realized there's not a lot that I can't do if you give me enough time I can do it because you know not a lot of people will outwork me in in that just like I have a bit of an obsessive approach when that's necessary so i think with slave plays intensity and and what it the bite that it took out of me it just it just like i don't know it just it actually shocked me that that was still possible so part of me just thought maybe i don't need to do this anymore because it's completely imbalanced there's no life work balance at all but at the same time i tend to prefer that so it's the weird balancing beam that i walk because the things that i enjoy the most usually cost me Mm. a lot but of course i'm learning as i age that that's not going to be possible forever eight shows a week is hard and it isn't balanced even if you're doing something that doesn't bite you the way slave play did and so that's not a great answer to the question, but it's it's a little bit elusive, uh, you know, and, and obviously the pandemic probably had a lot to do with it. We closed in January 2020 and I was, you know, taking a stab at pilot season in New York, whatever pilot season is now, which doesn't really exist. But, you know, I'd actually turned down 
the production of Knoxville at Sarasota at, at the Oslo Theater because I wanted to be around to actually make a go of some of these TV auditions. And as it turned out, the fellow that played the role that I ended up going back into booked his first Broadway show, oh, wow. uh, which was Paradise Square. Ben, I forget Ben's oh, last name cool. at the moment, but Ben Ben ended up doing that, of course. And uh, I got to step back in. So it all was, it, which was, made me really happy because I was part of all of the development of it. And I am in love with Knoxville. I'm just absolutely in love with it. So, and we recorded an album, guys. So you're say, going to get to hear it. Album yeah, coming. it's amazing. So you obviously have a little bit of a country twang on this album. yes it's gosh like a bright it's no it's not as twangy as bright star it doesn't lean i don't lean in as much on that but uh you know some some somewhat but it doesn't feel like country songs it 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 is beautiful music uh i can't wait that was a bright star reunion right (laughs) <laughs> me and Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. We did some interviews and joked about how I had left Alice for um, <laughs> Margaret. Margaret. Mar- Margo. I, I, yeah. I just remember Asheville. That's what I remember about, about that mm-hmm. moment oh, and that, man. that whole thing. Bright Star is one of my all time favorites. It was the first show that Connor and I saw when we moved to New York together in 2016, no that June. On a so Friday. It means a lot to me. All rush, we did the rush tickets. Listen, think- were you in the front row? We were in the pervert seats again. <laughs> it was, it was, it was actually yeah, a house right. It was house right. Um, okay. Obstructed view, but what a show! I loved it, and that was actually the first time I saw you on stage. That that show had such surprising t- twists in it, didn't it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Bright Star was one of these really. So that when this happens for me, it's it's just the best. When I read the script. I knew that they had to cast me and, <laughs> and they didn't cast me right away. Like it was one of these scripts that I read. I was genuinely shocked at what happens at the end of act one. Yeah. Uh, I did not see it coming obviously. And I had never have ever cried reading a single theater script in my life. And I was crying on a plane reading this script. I was flying to Ottawa, Canada to go see my friend run a, a you know, um, race in a triathlon. Oh, cool. And I'm reading the script crying on a plane, like a crazy <laughs> person and i thought if i don't book this it's really going to be upsetting and i don't i don't feel that way about most things but i could just see it i I just knew i am absolutely perfect for this and i worked my butt off on the audition and then of course it took them forever to cast me and even though my first audition was excellent my second audition i completely shit the bed uh i was in the middle of daddy long legs tech and we you know daddy long legs if anyone hasn't heard of the show it's a two two and a half hour musical with two people Mm -hmm. so it's busy and i didn't know the show megan mcginnis had done it a lot in her career uh, over the last few years. And so I was completely brain dead <laughs> learning this show. And so I go in on a lunch break during tech and it's it's as hot as it is today in New York, which my teeth are melting. It's They're so hot here. I, I couldn't even, re- I even played a song on guitar. I played something from once and couldn't remember how to play it. That's how brain dead I was. So I did not have a good second audition. I went in the third time and was great uh, with Carmen and was it was fantastic. But anyway, that's a long-winded way to say I the show for me was so personal and special. And, you know, even though I'd been in some really spectacular, like, I, you know, Revere once, I see the poster behind you and it's the best. It is the most perfect thing I've ever seen or been in. It's a perfect hero's journey. Bright Star felt a little more personal 
because I originated the role. And, and so when we closed, I think it's, you know, quote the show, I, I was heartbroken. I, mm-hmm. I just couldn't understand how that piece of theater could close so quick. You know, I, I will say that it, it, that put a little bit of an edge on me for New York. I was kind of pissed off at New York ever. I've been pissed off ever since and a little bit cynical ever since mm-hmm. because I really, really believed in that. And, you and know, it was so well reviewed and people were loving it. And Steve Martin was popping up out of nowhere to perform. And mm-hmm. I mean, another time you were, you were snubbed at a Tony nomination. <laughs> there was you. a juggernaut happening at the same time and they stole yes. literally every spot imaginable. But well, listen, I mean, not only Hamilton, but waitress, waitress. and both, you know, waitress was exceptional and they had the advantage of Sarah being so well known in the recording industry and they were so smart how of how they promoted that show. They got the music out out front of the production of her doing it. Mm-hmm. And then she worked her tail off promoting the show on social. So, oh, yeah. you know, and, and that attract like I, I think you can't really argue that teenage girls and their mothers are a huge audience in New York. And if you can grab that audience like Dear Evan Hansen and and Waitress and um, Six, like yeah. you that there's an audience there and you know so not only was it excellent they but they did everything so well so and we were east of broadway and having trouble just generating commercial um buzz it was so good i do love what's soon to be the james earl jones theater i do love that that theater is that are they changing the name from court to james earl jones Jones. Mm -hmm. oh that's amazing yes yeah and they're it's almost done being renovated i believe they're adding a lot to it my god i love that theater it's my favorite theater i've worked in in the city actually yeah i was gonna ask you because you've been in a lot of the ones on broadway at this point where was jesus christ superstar it was at the neil simon where mj is yes okay that's one of my faves but is it yeah i do i just a lot of my favorite shows have played that theater before so cool yeah. Okay. So anyways, we've, we're jumping all around. We're talking about all of our favorite shows. There is a key question that we forgot to ask you. And Paul, we're finding you in the city. Are you well? <laughs> <laughs> Do I look well? You see um, right Your skin and... is stunning. Yeah. I was going to say that about you guys. I was like, what are you doing with the skin? Because you look like you have a software application fixing it because it's so CGI oh perfect God. at the moment. I don't. I turned off the filter because I was. it was giving me some facial dysmorphia. I do have a slight filter oh, okay. on. I can't lie to you. Yeah, I do. Really? I do. Are you serious? I was joking. I was joking. I uh, I don't have a filter on because I don't have, <laughs> have any idea how to do that. We'll show you I'm filtered. We'll show you I, shaved, <laughs> I shaved before the podcast. Maybe nice. that's it. There you go. Um, I love that you exfoliated for an audio medium. I didn't know. I actually thought we were going to have like a video, a video aspect. So <laughs> that's, you know, I was like, well, I better put it in effort. I, I'm still stuck. And I know we asked you how you're doing, but I'm still stuck on you potentially becoming a firefighter. I want to know more. I do. I mean, I do. Yeah, I'm so yes. curious. Was this like, was this like something that was tucked away from childhood or just the challenge of always wanting to, you know, it's connected to a few things. I'm kind of, I've always been interested in self-sufficiency. So survivalism and, you know, being able to have a self-sufficient farm. I don't know when that started for me, but a girlfriend that I had in college in Toronto, she is from British Columbia, from Smithers, BC. Uh, She had her, her high school friend visiting. And this guy was a rappel attack firefighter so which that means they might call it something different in the u.s but they call it rap attack in canada and what they do is you have to be a female or male under 180 pounds and around 180 pounds so you need a a good body weight to strength ratio because they chopper these teams of three into remote 
fires, generally where lightning strikes in you know, the forest, anywhere in the mountains, but usually in remote areas that they can't get to and get teams in to put out these fires quickly. So they would repel in from helicopters with chainsaws and shovels and, and equipment, and they'd have to survive for sometimes days in probably even weeks in the wilderness while they put out fire or created you know barriers to stop the fire and that just fascinated me so i've always been curious about that since and as i've aged i kind of got interested in you know city fire as a career other than this as well i love all of the aspects of it i will not say that i'm a hero what i what which is what i've been finding out as i got closer to going to school is that no like firefighters are heroes they they really, especially the ones that are in major centers like this that have to go into buildings and it, it's scary. And so I, I was, there was no like thought of the hero, heroics of it. It was more about the skills of it. You have to have, it's a kind of a renaissance person sort of career in that you, you there's a lot of science involved. You, you're, there's never ending education involved with it. All of the aspects of it were interesting to me from first aid to physics to you know operating the machines to the mechanics and all of that stuff so that is the story about why i was interested in it and you know during the pandemic all of a sudden i had all this time to think about well maybe my career's dead like i i know from the outside so many of us look like we're set like you know and i so i know the perception is you know i've, I've led seven broadway productions and um, it looks like I'd never stop working. And, and generally that's been really true. However, like we don't get paid so much money that you can retire. And all of us, even Meryl Streep and stars like <laughs> Clooney think that they may never be asked to do anything ever again because we've got these children in us that you know feel like we're phonies and and I totally have that same um, syndrome. So you know I was sitting around thinking maybe I'm done and and I still think that like even the the production I just closed I think well you know maybe maybe that's it maybe maybe that's the last thing I get to do and uh, so that haunts us and it, and of course it gets scary as you age because you know you're thinking okay I'm getting close to a point where I don't want to work as hard. <laughs> but that's how I became interested in firefighting and how I followed through with it on the pandemic. And um, I think that the right thing happened. Somehow the theater gods intervened. And though I would like to have gone to school, the chances of me getting a job are very, it's a very, very competitive career. And for someone who wasn't all in at 43 years old, I think like that would have been tricky. It doesn't mean it was impossible, but it would have been tricky. I would have had to really been in the right market. Yeah. So I think I'd long to be living where I want to live more now. And that would be St. John's, Newfoundland. I love where my wife's from. and But I am addicted to the wonderful art that I've gotten to create down here. It's just, it's just there is so much resource put into musical theater in the U.S. and it offers something that we just don't have yet in Canada as far as development goes. There is some of it, of course, but down here, you know, no one's better at musical theater than the United States. And so yeah. I have been a huge benefactor of that. A beneficiary, I should say. Wow. Well, we're all the better for it. I mean, <laughs> your performances have been incredible. We had Shalina Kennedy on and she actually mentioned working mm -hmm. with you a yes. lot in Toronto, I want to say. At the Stratford or? Festival. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that those were some good experiences. You, you've mentioned you're from Canada. I also think that added some interesting layers to your character or to you playing Jim in 
Well, I think it's partly why I got it, to be honest. I think that there, you know, uh, there was a natural ignorance in my connection to American slavery, much Mm -hmm. like what Jim, who's a Brit, felt like he could distance himself from, you know, taking ownership of that or taking, making acknowledgements. So I think that that ignorance actually was useful. I think one of the other reasons that it was useful is that is that I'm fairly good at dialect and that's helpful because we have to buy the Britishness. And of course my Southern dialect was intentionally terrible and all over the map. And I always had fun doing it. Was, that. It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've never but, heard you use your real voice until this very podcast. I'm just it's kidding. It's true. But... <laughs> it's kind of true. Actually. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, you sound so Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, you're not wrong. I got to use it on the last production, Life After, at the Goodman Theater because I was playing a Canadian. Oh, wow. Was this a first? Had you ever played a Canadian before? You know, what's funny is Hannah Ellis always teases me about me taking all of these great American (laughs) boy roles. And uh, Mm -hmm. so she, when she found out that I was finally playing a Canadian, she loved that. It just tickled her (laughs) senselessly. I, Um, I could see you in Come From Away. I tried. I tried, but uh, you know, it didn't happen for me. Are you serious? Um, I mean, well, even even more so my wife because she's also an actor and like, you know, mm-hmm. her di- her Newfoundland accent is of course perfect because she's from there. So Oh yeah. Uh, she would she would have been, been perfect as a reporter. Is that sure. the Kendra Casabom mm-hmm. role? Where she, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, yeah, I can I can picture it. Janet Mosher. I made that up. I think that's it. I think yeah. you're right. I, I need to see Come From Away before it closes again. But anyway, Paul, I interrupted you. You were talking about life after. So this is something that, you know, when I was listening to your John Gallagher Jr. episode, uh, you guys have brought up Offer Only. And it's oh. one of the few <laughs> Offer Only parts I've ever had. And hey. it's there's like a double-edged sword to Offer Only because part of you thinks, yes, I didn't have to go through the stress and through the potential rejection of an audition. Forgetting how to play a song from Exactly. Once, you, know. Um, you know, you just, I didn't have to put my body through that. Yeah. But the other side of it is that you, it takes a while for you not to feel like an imposter because you feel like, oh, I didn't earn this, you know? So Annie Tippy directed this production. I think you would probably have seen her octet and I've never met Annie before, but the producers know me well from growing up in the theater circuit of Toronto and the writer, Britta Johnson is from Stratford, Ontario. So this is where it gets really cool. The show is about a girl who is trying to figure out why her father was not on a flight that he was supposed to be on when his car crashed in the evening. And she is trying to figure out how he died, why he was where he was when he died. Of course, you know, her grief response is to investigate and to need to control and understand everything. And this show's done with a lot of humor, but Britta had lost her father, not to a car accident. So it's loosely based on Britta's childhood. And she started writing this musical, I think when she was around 16 years old, you'll have to have her on if this show comes to Broadway because she's amazing. So she started writing this role when she was 16. When she was 16, I think I was playing Tony at the Stratford Festival with Shalina Kennedy in West Side Story. And I'd used to come into the coffee shop that she worked at in Stratford, Ontario, Revel Cafe, who my friend Anne Campion owns. And they make I'm not plugging them, but they really do make the best coffee. I She called one of her beverages and special because that's what I'd come in and ask for. It's basically a cortado, but we didn't have cortados in Canada. I digress. <laughs> this is why the intro took so long before because I talked. No, so, so Britta used to serve me coffee and she's a teenager and I'm like this, you know, 
you guy. It was my first season playing leads in the festival, and I used to come in, and she remembered how friendly I was, and I and uh, she start, had started writing this musical then. Cut to now, she's thirty one, and they've had three productions of it. One in Toronto, which is a co production uh, between I think Canadian Stage and uh, Acting Upstage. Sorry, Mitchell Marcus, if I got that wrong, and you're listening to this. And the, these same producers have been developing it since. At Toronto, my good friend Dan Shamroy played the role that I ended up playing. Dan still works a lot at the Stratford Festival and, and in Toronto. Then they did a second whole completely different production at the Old Globe that Bradley Dean played the role that I'm playing now. And, you know, completely different creative team other than I think think the music director uh, music director Lynn Shankle so that whole production happened and now that was pre-pandemic and so since then I've aged enough that I'm able to play the father of the girl who he dies in the car accident but it's it was me and eight diva women just singing their faces off this beautiful very unique Sondheim Gettle-ish music. And I, I will say that I've never read a musical score and thought that the other than Sondheim felt as like excited about the lyrics as this one reads down. Like you read it down and you're like, wow, these lyrics are unbelievable. And then the music just does something to to my insides the way that you know Sondheim stuff does the way that the opening of West Side does the opening of Superstar does she's just Britta Johnson has a gift and they it will be a crime if New York doesn't get to see this show because it really is extraordinary um and be it's just beautiful I'm convinced Paul, there is a question we do ask all of our guests that we haven't gotten a chance to uh, to ask you yet, but it's about your ring of keys moment as it pertains to a life in the arts. So it's our segment where we ask our guests where, when, how they were first exposed to the arts and when they decided to take that interest and passion and maybe um, propel themselves into a future that involved it. Okay. Well, that's such a great question. And I like how you answer, you ask it because you do get asked a sim. Uh, similar version of this from time to time. I really want to figure out a different answer because it's so, I find that a lot of men my age have had a similar experience. So I might make it twofold. But when I was a young guy, I grew up in a really, really small rural town in Saskatchewan, Canada. The town was 480 people population. My school was kindergarten to grade 12 and 180 students, let's say. My graduating class was 17, the largest class in the school. So you can imagine that the arts were not a big priority in these schools because somehow that's generally the way it is in smaller places that Mm -hmm. sports are kind of the thing that people do i did have a you know an athletic ability and i played sports competitively so that was helpful to my social status which was you know important (laughs) when you're a young guy but my parents noticed that i could sing at a certain point and eventually convinced me that maybe I should take some lessons. So I started taking some lessons, but did it in secret oh. and, and, you know, didn't tell the guys that I was taking singing lessons. Cause of course that wouldn't have been very masculine. <laughs> so gradually what that turned into was an interest in theater. My dad, who was a farmer when he was still farming the land, you know, to his credit, he was very interested in the arts. He listened to classical music, opera, Uh, He went and saw theater. He took us. And when he took me to see Les Mis, it's when the penny dropped for me. Because I'd already done a few like 
bad, you know, productions in the big city <laughs> of musicals and found a community that I was in love with. Like I loved playing sports, but I, you know, somehow didn't know that that was, wasn't the only community out there for me. And the sports community wasn't my thing. I wasn't interested in hazing and, mm -hmm. you know, always, you know, the one-upmanship of the locker room. It, it can be fun, but mostly it's just torturous for, you know, sensitive little guys like I was. <laughs> and so once I found that theater community, I, I was like, this is great. But I didn't know that this was, that it wasn't in my scope that this was something that young people could do, especially young boys, until I saw Les Mis and seeing the kid come out as Gavroche, because I was a runt at 13. I, my voice hadn't changed. I was little. No, I, I know normally that those were probably played by 10-year-old kids, but I could have I absolutely could have been playing Gavroche until I was 15 because my voice didn't change wow. and I was little. So it was that. It was an aha moment for me that I, I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to do with my life. Because I, first of all, the, the show was magical and incredible and huge and exciting, but I saw myself in it. Ring of keys. Yeah, ring of that keys was the right ring there. of keys. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wait, what was the twofold answer? Was that was that the lamest part or was there another? No, I was trying to think of like another more current moment. I, I think that yeah. uh, it, this isn't a ring of keys moment, but I will bring up Brent Carver as my hero. Like Brent, watching Brent uh, in the time that I spent with him on stage and uh, uh, watching him on stage, particularly at the Stratford Festival, there are just some magic artists out there like Brent. I think I've never seen Mark Rylance do this on stage, but I'm told Mark Rylance is, I have a feeling that it's the same thing. There is yeah. like something intuitive and so courageous and so human that what they bring to a performance is not logical. And Brent, for me, stopped time. It, it didn't, you know, it didn't matter if he felt, if he felt like what production is that guy in? You always felt the humanity there and the deep resonance of his the risk he was taking to reveal to us something human and i was i've forever been fascinated with that i think hoggett does that with with movement i don't know what he is channeling his approach i mean i think He's an incredible human being, uh, but like some of the things that I've seen Stephen Hoggett create on stage, it does the same thing to me. I'm deeply moved and don't know why. And so Brent will always be my hero because it's like a quest to figure out, uh, you know, my own version of of that. Mm -hmm. It may be an impossible task because I think that there was just he was a touched person, but that keeps me interested, and that's what excites me about the work. Still, is the unexplainable, the thing that is beyond technique and beyond what we can think up in our minds, but just something that happens when we take big risks. And uh, so when I get to do roles like that, whether it's in support of or whether it's the central focus, that is really what excites me. I know that's not a ring of keys, but... No, no. I mean, I, I find it with performances all the time and it's that's so special. Brent, many people would probably know his work from Parade, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, if you, I will say that my two favorite Tony performances that I've, you know, and I'm not a guy that sits on YouTube and watches a bunch of Tony performances. So please, I'm sure <laughs> send me like your favorites. Um, but like that was uh, that performance on the Tonys of, uh, of Brent's on Parade yeah. was like, uh, 
you know, like you watch how he moves his body. You, you know, it's not something that they choreograph. This is just Brent channeling something that's so true for him that we understand it. The other one is Norbert Leo Butts and Catch Me If You Can. Like it was ridiculous. That performance was crazy. Yeah, that's my favorite Tony's performance. Those two performances, you know, I mean, yeah. so inspirational. What was your first show you saw on Broadway in New York? Do you know what? I think it was Fosse. Oh, cool. I was here oh. just visiting a friend that I'd done Disney Cruise Line with and met all of these American people. And so I came <laughs> down to see all my American friends. Yeah. And uh, my friend Michelle Aravena, who's performing in Beetlejuice right now, we went and stood in standing room only seats at the back of Fosse. Wow. I'm extremely jealous of that. I Some <sighs> video just recently surfaced from that production of them. I think they did the Frug at some point. And it was... Mm-hmm. I was like, that is just like the coolest choreography ever. Talk about different than Stephen Hoggett, but like, you know, it does something to you. Yeah, that, that frug, wasn't it the woman with the long ponytail? So that mm-hmm. was like splashing everywhere. Yeah, it, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So good. It's genius. Paul, I've got to talk to you a little bit about Once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a little bit about Margaritaville. Okay. What do you want to do? What, what shall we do first? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Once because... Because Paul, you mentioned it and that I have this poster. And I remember when we worked together at 54 Below, you told me that it was seeing the once film that made you want to play guitar in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that experience like? Because I know that you pretty much stepped into the original Broadway cast. Yeah, it was. uh, Okay, so I will say that seeing one I, I took a night off and vocal for vocal rest when i was doing superstar on broadway it was the only i think it was the only night that i took for vocal rest oh. the other performance that i missed was i think i had a back spasm or something and i went and saw once and one of the reasons was because i loved the film so much and i was really worried that it was going to not live up to it and of course it was the exact opposite it was like took the film and just did everything even better. So that was one of those moments in the theater that I felt like I was spying on people's lives. And I've had a few of those. Yeah. I mean, I was like ugly crying in the theater alone beside a stranger, just like swallowing it all. So I had the worst headache because it was just so moving. And not only as a story, but as a piece of theater, for me, that was was iconically defining why I do theater. So to have gotten, you know, I actually was asked to audition for it not that long after we closed Superstar on Broadway. I'm not sure that they knew that my guitar skills weren't up to task yet. But uh, basically, I was uh, in Kansas City doing a regional production of Aida, and they asked me to audition. I actually said no, because I knew that if if my skills weren't good enough, I was never going to get another shot to audition for them. And I thought, this show's going to be around. This is weird that I thought all this, but but I thought the show's going to be around a while, and I'm going to work on guitar. So when when another replacement comes up, and this was for the tour, by the way, it wasn't for Broadway replacements, which I don't think I even knew at the time, but I just knew that if I whipped out the guitar at this point, I would be shut down and they'd probably kill me for how bad I played because I never played in front of people. I'd played a little bit and was self-taught, but I needed 
you know, some time to really spend on these songs. So six months later, they're starting Broadway replacements. And I went in and, and it turned into three auditions that happened over the course of about eight months. And I worked my butt off on those auditions uh, because I knew that once I was in the room and nervous, my hands would not work. Uh, I love playing guitar in front of people now. It is not something that I'm excellent at, but I am good enough at it that I can support myself and, and enjoy it. But like, you know, if I could get another, I would absolutely go do another year of once because I loved doing the show so much and I got better at guitar. And now I'm much better at guitar because I did it in Margaritaville and yeah. I've played in front of people a lot more often. So I'm not, it's just not a foreign object anymore. Yeah, that was an extraordinary experience stepping into that and a- extremely intimidating. Yeah. I, it was a terrifying opening night because I'm playing with, you know, some ringer musicians and they don't hold your hand. That cast was awesome, but they're not, they're not holding your hand. They're New York artists who have, you know, been doing the show for two years and, you know, you got to do your job. Well, the thing that I had was my voice and my acting. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, you and know. another accent. Another accent. Dublin. Yes. Very mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Thank God for Stephen Gavis. He really is a great vocal uh, dialect coach that I've worked with a lot here. Now, did you use an accent in Margaritaville? I can't remember. You know, we bounced accents around in that because we we're trying to figure out where he's from. So Tully Mars is based on a character from one of Jimmy's short stories from one of his short story novels. And in that, I think he was from Wyoming. I really wanted him to be from Wyoming, by the way, because I like, (laughs) you know, I like playing people that are of the earth, you know, the guys that had their hands in the dirt. But that was not helpful to the writers to tell a story about this guy, you know, living in the, you know, some undisclosed island, basically, you know, Hawaii slash Florida Keys. Yeah. (laughs) So we toyed with a Southern accent to like be like Jimmy eventually. I, I think I ended up a little bit in a slight drawl but we tried and for a while i think we were trying some some you know main or something like that and it really didn't work like you should you'll hear some stuff on the album maybe that's why you're bringing it up but you know like i I think that i even like say something like long at some point like i think maybe he was from long island or something like so we were trying long island that was on the tour and then when we finally did broadway i think we scrapped it all and just (laughs) went for you know slightly southern but wow well Mm -hmm. you were terrific And I think that it could have been another Mamma Mia, but I don't know what was going on there, but you were terrific. Thanks. Thanks. I mean, I wanted to buy my house with that show. I just loved doing it. And, you know, it was fun. We, you know, it just, who knows? I'm going to have to ask Jared Spector how to choose a hit because he's like been in so many hits. I'm like, Jared. And all the jukebox hits too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I I mean, that was disappointing. Obviously we spent two years at it and it didn't have the audience that we thought, you know, that we really were certain it would have, but you know, it, you know, as a buddy of mine says, it was a bit off brand for me, but I really needed to do that at that point i really really needed to do something silly and fun and and just entertain people so and my wife got to do it with me too she had auditioned and like got in and we were like how what are the chances of this so oh that's um, amazing so So you guys were together already i I wasn't sure if you'd met doing that or no we met at the stratford festival doing tommy and uh fiddler on the roof at the Stratford festival and uh, uh so that yeah we've been to, we've been together since 2013 oh, nice. wow were those all des mackinough productions 
No, Des did Tommy, and another director did the Fiddler on the Roof production that year. I was going to say, what, I played, what a season. I played Fiedka. <laughs> yeah, I know. Weird, right? Yeah. Like, and like, I think there was one Jewish person in our cast. That's like, you know, Canada isn't like, it does not have as large of an access to yeah. the Jewish community. So he's like, we would never get to do that production. Yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, you said Margaritaville was something that you felt like you needed to do. And I know performers hate this question and I'm not asking you what is next but I'm asking you what do you feel like you need to do next what is your soul crying out for you know that's a really good question and one I ask myself all the time because I'm I do feel like when you ask that question am I okay it kind of comes to this question because I'm not sure and I'm not sure if I'm okay with not knowing because uh, so much of my life, you know, I could name you a bunch of roles that I would have always loved to play, like Floyd and Floyd Collins or, you know, um, Bobby and Company or so, stuff like that, like roles that I really just love. But I do get it, this happens to me all the time now that I get auditions kind of come in. And instead of being like, yes, I have an opportunity to work, I'm kind of not excited about it and i'm trying to figure out why uh whether it's that i'm getting more allergic to uh rejection or if the work that's coming in isn't exciting me and, and um, a lot of that's tv film stuff but you know i, I get a lot of, I, so i would say half of the stuff is like oh this is kind of cool and you know you know that you have like a 0.001 chance of booking any of it or like it's just not it's not at all interesting, but you know, it'll pay a lot, but you also have a 0.001 chance of booking it. So it's hard to get excited about that. And that kind of has worn on me. Whereas in the theater, I always feel like I have a shot because the, the skill set is different and it is what I've spent my life, you know, sharpening those tools. So, but I will say that what I'm really excited about right now is my concept album because it does, it is something that my best friend and I, um, Michael Tremblay in Canada, have been writing since 2009. And it's gone through so many more metamorphoses and, and ended up during the pandemic, I kind of tackled it again and really tried to figure out how to construct this story, what songs we needed for it. It's, I will come out right out of the gates and say it isn't musical theater. It's meant to feel like some weird indie band did this cool, strange, long-form album. Um, but generally, the people I've shown the album to, they start to see image um not like necessarily oh i see clouds but they do they the, the images that are generated by the lyric and the uh, arrangements generally do give people um an idea of story even if it's not necessarily the story that we wrote it for so mm -hmm. it's got a story structure of the hero's journey which if you think about the 54 below concert there's something <laughs> interesting to me about in, in this and because it is really a you know a, a great archetype for how to construct storytelling but yes i'm super excited about it because we got a grant to finish the album this year Ooh. and so by the end of the year we're hoping to have the you know the, be done with the uh, the producer and all of the arranging and live instruments recorded and you know make sure it's mixed by about march next year so that we can start releasing content and I, I mean ultimately like it has so many possibilities i'd love to raise money and make it a film like uh, you know did you see inside the bo burnham oh, inside yeah. incredible i mean like that was so inspired again that's one of those things you go how did he accomplish this this yeah. is genius and so meticulous and hard to do and he did it so anyway yeah i would say the music is like radiohead meets debussy meets <laughs> coldplay keen oh, um 
Sufjan Stevens or Yonsi, uh, who's the lead singer of a band called uh, Sigur Ross. So it's like, cool. you know, it's a, it's a lot of our musical influences packed into our own thing. Cause I, I can't say it sounds like anybody. It sounds like us because we've spent so much time at it. Oh, that's incredible. I, I want to hear a, a snip. Is anything, have you released anything yet or? No, I haven't released okay, it. Okay. Actually, do you know what's actually, that's not true. When we were doing Superstar in town, we i don't even know if this is on youtube anymore but we put like this video of just me like laying on the floor of my dressing room and we put one of the songs up with me just like singing the stuff but the arrangement it's it's a song called oops but uh and i don't think that arrangement has changed much because it's, mm. it's really string heavy but it's it's cool yeah oh i'm so excited i'm gonna have to mm. dig through the interwebs to find yeah them. there you go that's so cool i love that you you know you're you're branching out into different areas too and March can't come soon enough, honestly. <laughs> That's great. Oh my gosh, Paul, you you have so many stories and I feel like I, I could listen to you talk forever, but we sadly do have to start wrapping up and we always end on a dose of drama, something to leave our listeners with, to go out into the world and think about or consume. And there's some drama that I'm thinking about today. And I'm, mm -hmm. you know, it might not seem like a big deal to some, but to me it's everything. And it's that Zac Efron posted a photo of himself in front of the high school where they filmed High School Musical. And this mm. is big for me because he doesn't often acknowledge the project that really shot him into stardom. And a few weeks ago, could have been a month ago, could have been two, time is really mysterious to me, but Vanessa Hudgens also posted a photo in front of the East High High School. And I can't help but wonder what is going on here on this day in this life you know, if anything, it just made me happy, but something to ponder, something to ponder what's going on at East High. Do you see that, Dylan? I, I saw that too. I, I think they were probably just passing by Salt Lake. Can you just, what let me just imagine that they're filming some sort of like reunion special for Disney plus. I, I don't know. It could be anything in this day and age, right? If the price is right. Probably Zach and Vanessa in High School Musical, they really, they made me believe in love at 12, 13 years old. So that was your, your Benefer, your uh, Ben Affleck. Mm. And the yeah, the first yeah. time, I guess. And if it goes the same 20 years later, they'll be together. Oh mm -hmm. my God. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. um, Dylan, yeah. dose of drama. My dose of drama is I have not seen this yet, but I'm so excited because this weekend, the new Jordan Peele movie, Nope, comes out, and I am so excited. It looks, I don't even know what it looks <laughs> like it's about, but it's like, it just looks incredible, and the trailers give me chills every time, and I am just so excited. Wait. Kiki is everywhere. I mean, Paul, oh do you have any God. dose of drama for us today? Can um, you recommendation? Well, I will say that, uh, though I haven't seen it on Broadway, and I, I was staying with the theater train oh, here, yeah. um, a, stra yeah. a Strange Loop was mm. one of those theatrical experiences that I felt like it was a Charlie Kaufman film staged because it was so smart and impossible to tell this story in such a concise and 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 understandable way like I, I can't wait to see that again and I can't wait to see it with a new lead I loved the guy that did it at uh was it play playwrights horizons, horizons that, yeah, yeah like i loved him so i'm i i'm i'm so like flummoxed that i'm like where did he go i uh but so i can't wait to see oh, there's, there's a little there's drama. Some drama there i think there's some drama there, <laughs> oh so there's drama so that's the joseph that's drama, the joseph drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we can talk about it off pod but the new the jack jackel spivey who is the broadway lead is terrific he must be that role is so hard and 
I mean, it was ridiculous what was going on yeah. on that stage. Uh, so smart and so shockingly uh, indicted. I, 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 I got like, I fell into the trap in that show. And I was like, <laughs> I shouldn't uh-huh. have because I just came off Slave Play when I saw him. Like, and I fell into the trap. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. There was a lot of really cool art that was making us think about race yeah. and identity. It, it really, really cool. I think that's a great suggestion. I hope that it continues momentum now that it won the aforementioned tony awards Mm -hmm. but because it's a it's a bit of a tough sell i think i'm not hard to sell art to because that's what i gravitate towards but yes from a marketing standpoint i don't know how they figure (laughs) out you know know. anything i mean i don't want everything to need a movie star to sell so i know I'm excited to see whatever it is that you do next, Paul. You have given us so much. Thank you for just telling some stories, answering our silly questions, and just being a part of the drama fam. Well, thanks for letting me blab on. Oh my no, god, I'm it, glad you didn't become a firefighter yet. Not yet, um, not yet. I think it's. I think that ship has sailed. So okay, so? good, because yeah. you have more to get. Like George Surratt, you have more to get. <laughs> Maybe so. a George Surratt. I would <laughs> love that. There's one. I'd love to play Sweeney Todd, but I don't have the low stuff. Like I just wish that I could sing that role because it's. I think it's perfect. But so George George Seurat though I could do. Yeah, yeah. You could do that. Yeah, God, there's, you you really can sing. Like it's <laughs> I know crazy. Heartbreak, Heartbreaker on Bright Star is just. Is that the scene you cried at when you read it on the plane? Um, I think I cried when we found out that AJ Shively's character was my son. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised. Moment. I mean, you know, some people had figured it out. I'm like, I didn't. I'm I'm dumb. I I just had no idea. I mean, it should be a surprise considering what happens at the end of Act One. I mean, mm-hmm. it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I had a vision. Also, I, now we're just like telling you all of our favorite Bright Star songs. But <laughs> you two are magic together. Your voices. You guys could do Sweeney together. Uh, she's doing it right now. She's doing it. Yeah. She's That's doing right. it. Um, That's probably why it's in my head. Is she at the Muni? Where is she doing that? Um, I think so. That mm. sounds right. I, uh, of course, am Carmen's biggest fan. She is one of the most extraordinary actors in our business. And, you know, yeah. then there's that really unique voice of hers that can do anything. I would do anything to work with Carmen. Of course. Mm-hmm. There are, yeah. there, you know, she is magic. Like she's in a short list. Like she's like the Jesse Mueller's and the, yeah. and the yep. uh, Kristen Milioti's that like, there's just that, that is a really special small group of ladies, um, mm-hmm. you know, extraordinary. I loved that. It was the easiest job on planet earth to, to do that with her. I would do it again. Oh, chills. There's a few things I need you. I need you guys to do once again too. So oh my God. Yes, I don't know if she could, if she would want to step in into that, but. Oh my God. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to see you as guy though. Cause that once is in my top five favorite shows. And I mean, I've heard a little clips online, but yeah, you know, but the stuff know. online wasn't great. I, I don't like what it I've never heard online. Yeah. The... I don't know. I, I think I just would approach it slightly differently now. And I'd have more co- confidence with the guitar as well, which would help me just own my version of that a bit better but uh yeah you know i did that with um two different actors joanna christie and jesse fisher and oh. uh it was just uh, it was a great year of my life yeah mm-hmm. oh my god i'm sad i missed it but there's more to come and sure everyone is. should follow along your journey on twitter you're at underscore paul nolan and on instagram you're paul alexander nolan correct something like that I'm yeah. terrible at social media. I try, at, but <laughs> everything will be in the notes below. 
Paul, this was honestly a dream come true for Connor and I. So thank you for your time and your tales. My pleasure. Thanks for asking, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, everyone should follow us. We're at the Drama Podcast. Connor's at Connor McDowell. I'm at Dylan McDowell. We have so much in store for you to finish up summer and head into what's going to be year three coming up, right? Connor? Wow. Yes, yeah. I know. Or maybe it's, yeah, the third yeah. year anniversary, but it's year four, I think. Oh, okay. Something oh like that. God, that. That's crazy. But anyway. Okay. All right. Connor. Dylan. I'll see you next time. Drama. Drama.